Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. We're coming to you a couple of days removed from the 2020 Bahrain Grand Prix, which we're going to be talking about today in this recap podcast. Another Zoom podcast bringing to you this week. So the other half of my team for today joining me, Tyler McDonald. Let's bring him in. Tyler, how are you doing today? Very good, Chris. Uh, wow, what a wild week it's been uh, in the F1 world. It's like... Uh, Every time I log on to Twitter, there's new news and something else going on. So it's been a pretty wild week and uh, we'll break it all down here on today's episode. Yeah, wild week indeed. And it didn't just stop really after the race. And we're going to get into that in detail. I'm not even really sure we're going to talk too much about the actual race itself and, and more just obviously the incident. And we're going to provide you guys with all the updates. We're going to go through uh, just a couple of times looking at the crash, you know, only once or twice, just different angles that you might not have seen. Um, you know, I don't think we want to play it too much just because, uh, you know, it, it was quite the accident. But before we get to all that, I want to talk about the breaking news that happened today. We are recording this on Tuesday. Or, sorry, excuse me. Yes. What is it today? Tuesday? It's, it's Tuesday. It's <laughs> okay, Tuesday. <sorry>. I, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what day it is anymore. Uh, so it is Tuesday, December the 1st of 2020. By the time this comes out early on Wednesday, I'm sure that we'll have a lot of changes. But the breaking news is first, let's cover the minor news, is that Haas F1 have confirmed that Nikita Mazepin will be driving for uh, Haas, obviously, in 2021. Something that we've heard about a lot in the last couple of weeks, but let me get your thoughts on it. Um, you know, we, we expected this to happen, but we finally got confirmation. Uh, surprised that they did announce both drivers at the same time, really. Um, and I'm surprised Mazepin's first. I mean, obviously, we don't know who, you know, speculation is it Perez? Is it going to be uh, Mick Schumacher? Nico um, Hulkenberg? Who knows? Um, but, uh, Nikita Mazepin was maybe the one I thought they, out of all of them, they wouldn't go with. And, uh, it turns out the one that it is the one for sure. So it'll be interesting to see how Mazepin, uh, comes in F1 next year. Um, right now is the sole rookie, uh, to be determined, of course. And, uh, how much Haas will use, um, the, the money aspect of it as well. Obviously he brings in a lot of sponsorship, um, a lot of, uh, money from his family as well. Uh, seems to be the trend that uh, is coming as of late for F1, um, but uh, you know, all in in all, it, it ends up being performance on track. So uh, it will definitely be a development year. I still think he could have used another year in F2 to really hone his skills and and prepare for a full year in F1. But uh, very interesting news and uh, interesting that they would time this the way it is that they're announcing it right now, especially after the incident just happened. If kind of my PR thinking would be, okay, maybe we'll just wait another week to announce this officially uh, and kind of let the Roman thing fizzle out and make sure he's okay. But uh, I don't think they went right for it. Yeah, I echo the same thoughts. And, you know, good point that you actually bring up there. I was kind of in interested too that they released it this early. Maybe you should have waited till the end of the week. Um, you know, obviously we know that Roman is okay and, and we're getting updates, which we're going to get to in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think that maybe it would have been a little bit better just to wait uh, for that, you know, to die down. Everybody's still talking about obviously what happened on Sunday. So yeah, I agree. I found that interesting. But uh, like you said, money talks today in Formula One. And we're seeing this as a trend the last couple of years now, you know, for the likes of Lance Stroll, for example, it's worked out well and, and he's carved out his seat. So let's let's give Mazepin his due. And like we said all the time with these drivers too, you know, they wouldn't be put in these cars unless they were talented. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to make any, any rush to judgment there. I, I honestly haven't seen too much of Mazepin. I've seen him a couple times in F2 um, in, in recent years, but I don't know that much about him. So I'm going to wait to see what he can bring next year. And then obviously we'll wait till the second half of that seat is, is also announced, which will most likely be Mick Schumacher. So we'll see what happens there. 
Um, so that was sort of the uh, the least exciting news, I guess, of the day. Uh, and the most, uh, well, I wouldn't say exciting, but the most shocking news of the day was that Lewis Hamilton has tested positive for COVID, I guess, after the race, um, because he came into contact with somebody, uh, I think, outside of the F1 circle uh, that received the positive test, and then he went to go and get one. And then that's when the positive result came up. So he will miss the uh, this weekend's Sakir Grand Prix on Sunday. And quite frankly, might even miss the season finale in Abu Dhabi because of the quarantine rules and the fact that they're going to have to fly over to Abu Dhabi a little bit earlier because of the rules there. So he might even miss miss two races, the final two races of the season. And yeah, I know as of, Abu yep. Dhabi. Sorry, Chris. I know Abu Dhabi is very strict on their um, on their COVID rules for people entering uh, their, their country. So uh, the United Arab Emirates, obviously. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Lewis will do. I think he only has to have one negative test to be able to fly into, um, bar or not barring, sorry, Abu Dhabi. Um, so, uh, who knows, uh, obviously this will go you know, by time, but how weird would it be that a seven time champion, the, the champion of the season will not race the season finale. Uh, it's maybe never happened definitely in history. I don't think so. I mean, not definitely in these circumstances. And I think he said at the beginning of the year, the only thing that would stop him was this, you know, uh, is a positive test. So luckily, the only you want it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Exactly. The, the luck of this guy is pretty amazing when you think about it, right? Because m- middle of the season, if he had to have missed two races, for example, that's that's a much different story, as we saw with Sergio Perez, obviously. Um, even though he's kind of regained uh, th- those points and everything. But yeah, I think uh, we, we saw with uh, Fight Island and uh, Abu Dhabi with the UFC, just sort of how strict their restrictions are and their rules. So I think the same will apply to, to F1. And it, obviously with the triple header too, it doesn't make it any easier. But uh, as of we're recording this uh, at five o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday, George Russell now is the front runner to replace Lewis Hamilton this weekend and possibly even further. I know Stoffel Van Dorn, the reserve driver, is being thrown around and that he was going to fly to Bahrain anyways, uh, being the Mercedes reserve driver. But as of right now, the latest is that George Russell is the front runner. And maybe by the time you guys are watching this, you'll have confirmation. Um, so, uh, if that does indeed happen, Tyler, if Russell is confirmed, what are your thoughts on George getting the opportunity of a lifetime? Uh, surprised. Very surprised. And I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's just because, you know, he's with Williams. That's that's his team is Williams. And it, in my mind, Stoffel Van Doren should get the seat and drive for Mercedes. Uh, he's the reserve driver. That's what he's there for. That's his job. He's the reserve driver for Mercedes AMG Petronas. Not the reserve driver from Williams. That's uh, Roy Nassani, the uh, the Israeli, who has done a few practices so far this season and has been half decent in the Williams car uh, to get some practice under his belt. Belt. Um, very surprised if, if it does happen. But it, you know, if you're George, you got to make it happen for yourself. This is a huge opportunity for George Russell if, to be a young young one coming in, just his second year in F1 to p- go into a top seat, so the top seat. Lewis Hamilton's car, you know, it's not like it's 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 the championship winning car, driver and team. Uh, it's a huge opportunity for him to really uh, push the envelope on his development and to show everyone how much uh, talent he has. Because I could only imagine his first ever F1 points being him standing at the top of the podium. I mean, it's if he goes in that seat, it's a very high possibility because he's most likely going to get pole the way he qualifies on Saturday. That's a very good point. I didn't actually think about that. He's one of the best qualifiers on the grid. So, yeah, it could be. And and I think it's only happened a handful of times when a driver scored his first points in a race victory. 
Um, and that happened, you know, many years ago in the 70s and in the 60s. So I, I was a little surprised, too, because at first they said Van Dorn was sort of the front runner. And I said, OK, you know, I'm actually glad that in the way that Haas did replacing Romain Grosjean, they put Pietro Fittipaldi in the car, who is the official reserve driver. They didn't, you know, go get Hulkenberg from Cologne and fly him all the way over here. Well, I'm um, surprised he hasn't got a call because I've, I've kind of heard his name in the mix, too, on the Twitterverse. But uh, I, I think he's now the, the third man in the fight. Yeah. Well, well, that would another one, too, his first ever podium to be away. You know, that would have been pretty cool for him, too. I think that's like the fans decision. That's the one that I want the most, obviously, but I'm happy with anybody to, that gets in that seat because you're, you know, anything can happen, but you're in a guaranteed podium position. Like you said, it's a championship winning car um, and, and the most dominant car possibly in the history of the sport and the fastest car in the history of the sport. So what an opportunity it would be, but I, I'm not sure. I think it is going to end up being Russell. And, and again, this conversation will look a little weird after it is confirmed, but what an opportunity that's going to be, man, to to score your first points and possibly a podium or even a race victory. Very interesting, though, but it's a good test if it is Russell to see what they want to do for the future, right? And the other... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, well, let, let's talk about too, because it was we don't have the official decision right now as of the time we're recording this. Let's talk about if Stoffel Van Dorn does get in the seat instead of George Russell. Um, a huge opportunity for Stoffel as well. Obviously, yeah. he was doing some testing for Mercedes uh, for Formula E uh, in Valencia, I believe, is where that was. So that's where he was, and he mentioned he's going to make his way to Bahrain no matter what. Um, he got shafted out of a, a seat, uh, obviously, with Racing Point because uh, Hulkenberg took his seat there. Uh, Van Dorn, a Mercedes reserve driver, had the opportunity, was in the mix. And didn't get to race there. And Van Doren kind of, I think, got a short on the stick a little bit in his time in F1. Uh, didn't have the greatest McLaren to race in at the time. And uh, it just things, a lot of things didn't go his way. A very talented driver. He's done a lot in his career. Uh, and it would be an awesome opportunity to see him try and push for a podium, if not a race win. Because he's someone that I've always kind of liked on the grid. And I, and I wish that someone gave him another chance because he's, he's got a lot of talent. Yeah, me too. I agree with that. And I, I've been very happy if it was Van Dorn as well. Um, so fingers fingers crossed for, for either guy. It's an excellent opportunity. And the other thing that I'm looking out for, regardless of whoever the driver is, will be this weekend, we'll, we'll get to see this debate actually unfold at a race weekend, the whole car versus driver debate. Because obviously with Hamilton clinching the seventh world championship and all the records he's broken this year, it's been a hot topic. Like, okay, how much of it is it the car versus how much of it is the driver? Um, we saw the Turkish Grand Prix that uh, that he won was obviously kind of a, uh, a pro in terms of the argument of it's the driver instead of the car, for example. But I think this is a great opportunity to finally see this play out because if we see somebody like a Russell or a Van Doren get in there and he can't outperform Valtteri, for example, or he can't outperform the Red Bulls, then we'll have more of an idea that, okay, more of the driver. But if it's the other way around and it's still so dominant. So I think this is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out to get to finally actually see this argument play out in real life. But saying that argument, if George Russell, let's say, goes in there and beats Valtteri Bottas on race day, I don't think that says anything about the car. I think it says a lot about the driver behind the car. And is that something that really looks bad on Valtteri Bottas? He's been in the in the car for three years. Um, this could really negatively affect Bottas a lot this weekend. And if you're Valtteri, you have to have a stellar weekend in Bari. You have to win the race. You don't have a choice. You have to win the race um, to, to keep the critics uh, down. Because if George Russell, Stoffel Vendor, whoever goes in that seat and beats you, 
people are going to be calling for your seat uh, and that they're the better driver. So it, it, Mercedes are going to have an interesting look at things there. So it's a massive weekend for, for Valtteri Bottas. 100%. Somebody hit up us hit us up on Twitter a couple hours ago saying the same thing, like if he's going to be the most under-pressure driver of the weekend. And couldn't agree more with, with him and with you as well, that if, if he gets beat by you know a guy that's never driven this car before and he's had an entire season with this car and years with the team, it, it's his seat might be put on the hot seat. You know, I, we've kind of seen in the last couple of years that no matter what the fact that you got a contract or not, you know, it doesn't really matter if they decide to choose it. They could buy you out. They could put another driver in. We saw that with Racing Point, obviously. So yeah, I think Valtteri, pressure is on. <laughs> that's that's if Russell comes in and out qualifies or wins the race because looking at the circuit layout for Sakir, I mean, it's it's Mercedes. You know, they they got a big advantage at this track layout. So uh, yeah, it's what an interesting turn of events you know it's it's like the last we, we thought the last three races it was going to be okay you know championships decided we might get some good racing here or there but it's just like complete 180 i don't know it's crazy i mean um could you imagine the scene if george russell wins the race and then mercedes put him in the seat with lewis hamilton next year and all of a sudden valter is out of a seat then you have an open williams spot there too right so is silly season over yet? I, I don't think so. I think we might be getting uh, the dessert uh, portion of, of silly season if this ends up being uh, plays out how it could. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I don't think those contracts are as safe as, as we all think it is, even though you know drivers are confirmed technically for next year. I, I don't think that we can rule out any crazy last minute changes between now and, and the start. Uh, of the next season in 2021 so very interesting times ahead obviously if you're watching this on wednesday morning or later on in the week um, we should probably hear by now a confirmation of which driver it is so please comment down below what you think how do you think that driver will fare if it's russell if it's van dorn um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm glad that we took an extra couple of days to, to wait and record because it's, it's like the, the cornerstone of this, of this show. It's like every time that we record all the breaking news happens. So this is very rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We uh, don't usually get this lucky, uh, to have breaking news happen, you know, a couple hours before we record. So, uh, we'll take it in stride. And, uh, obviously there's gonna be some more breaking news, uh, after this comes out, just the nature of things. Um, but yeah, no, pretty, pretty lucky. We, we took another day to record this because uh, now we have some extra points to talk about. This is already going to be a very interesting podcast, um, with everything that happened in the race. And, uh, now we kind of have a, a full other debate as well. Uh, you can almost make this a two, two part, uh, podcast in a way yeah yeah for sure yeah interesting interesting couple of weeks ahead as we wrap up this this wild season uh okay it, it could only happen in 2020 and it's not done yet i mean there's still two weeks to go so who knows what's gonna happen between now and then right i was reading something where uh last year today was it today or yesterday one of the two that uh it was the end of the 2019 season the latest end of a formula one season ever well, we still have two races left. We're, this is going to be the latest end for a long time. I don't think this will be beaten. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a crazy one. I can't wait till we do our uh, season review. I think that might be a two-hour show or something. I might, there's a lot to talk about. I, I don't even remember Austria. Uh, yeah, like seriously. Yeah, uh, it's um, it's crazy. Um, all right, so that's, that's all the breaking news. We'll get that out of the way. Uh, maybe keep an eye out on Twitter just in case something breaks. Um, but let's move on, obviously, to, to the Bahrain Grand Prix itself. And... We'll uh, we'll just maybe give our, our initial thoughts on 
on the whole incident and, and everything. It was, it was a bit kind of tough to, to watch the race and enjoy the race afterwards just because of, uh, of the shock of the accident. I think even a couple of days later, everybody's still kind of like, did that really happen? Like, is, is, is Roman really okay? Um, even though we have all the footage and we, we've got Roman talking and, and tweeting now, it, it almost still feels like the worst case scenario happened. I mean, anyways, that's just how I feel personally. Uh, for me, it, it was the worst F1 accident I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, maybe I'd go even as far as to say the worst motor racing accident that I've seen, uh, definitely live. And I've seen, unfortunately, a couple of the fatal ones. I know you watch IndyCar, so um, you know we obviously watched the ones with, with Dan Weldon and Justin Wilson, and recently with Robert Wickens, obviously that massive one. But this one was just, to, to me, another level, because I've never seen an F1 car split in half like that. I've never seen a fire, you know, you know, explode that way, the way that it did. And I know a lot of people are kind of saying, well, it's not a miracle. You know, it's, it's the science and the technology that's gone into the safety and everything. And I agree with that, but guys, this is a miracle. Like this is, I, I, I still don't know how he survived that crash with minor injuries. Well, my first I thought was uh, if he's unconscious, yeah, that's, you know, that's a, a pretty, um, pretty bad scenario that could have been. He hit the wall at 221 kilometers an hour. I mean, to to be able to survive the g-force of him stopping in that wall, um, and to stay conscious is, is very impressive. I think. Um, I want I want to go back to maybe what started this incident uh, because. Well, actually, for, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so you're, you're talking about, sorry, you're, you were talking about the worst crashes you've ever seen. And this ranks up there. And you're saying this is number one. I, I think it's up there, too. I, the, the immediate ones that came to my mind, um, non-fatal, because I put this in a different, the, the fatal ones are always, you know, you, you never want to see. I think of, you know, just last year we lost Antoine Bear. Um, and, you know, that was a horrific accident. I was watching the F2 race, and you, you just knew right away. Um that it was, it was a very serious incident. Um, I watched a lot of NASCAR as well uh, this year at the Daytona 500. Ryan Newman uh, got spun, flipped uh, upside down, and then you got T-boned right uh, pretty much on his head uh, by another car uh, that sent him up flying in the air. And he ended up, was unconscious, but uh, there was no fire and safety crews right there. He survived and walked to the hospital you know, three days later, it's pretty, uh, they said that was a miracle. Um, as far as cars splitting in half, the only one I can remember seeing was Scott Dixon, uh, in IndyCar, uh, was, I believe it was the Indianapolis 500. I, I'm trying to think what year it was. It was 2018 or 2016, somewhere around there, but his car went up and the, the wall would be here and landed sideways on the wall like that, just missing, you know, him, it just landed right behind him and the car split in half uh, and he ended up being okay. But again, no fuel came out. Um, there was no fire or anything like that. Uh, this was a lot of awful aspects you see in a crash combined into one. And um, now going back to the start of the crash, I mean, when you saw, at first my eyes were, were drawn to Kimmy coming very, very wide uh, through that corner. And that's, you know, Roman was leaving space to, let Kimmy on and didn't see Kvyat uh, in his blind spot really, and um, I, I was looking at, at Kimmy, and then I saw sparks and a massive ball of fire, and I immediately I I, I lost breath, I gasped, and I I couldn't you know 
I didn't have any words to describe how I was feeling right there. You just knew that it's, this was, this is not good. Um, and, uh, a very tense few, few moments there. I mean, a couple minutes really just to, before we got pictures of Roma. And once you saw Roma, you, uh, with a big exhale, you know, knowing that he, he was at least alive and, you know, you're not knowing what injuries he had, but he was, he was all right, uh, in terms of, of being with us. And, um, so you can't thank the, the safety crews, the safety innovations that F1 has done. Uh, but it, it is a miracle that, that he came out of that because a lot of things could have gone wrong, but a lot of things did go right in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, the, of course we, we criticized the halo or, or at least I know I did when it first came in, but that's, that's all done now. I don't think we'll ever talk about it ever again because, um, it's one of the clips I have queued up, which we were going to show why the halo made such of a difference but uh yeah I, I thought the worst for a few minutes there um and we're gonna also take a look at the team radios of the drivers on the in lap into the pit lane during the red flag just how worried they were um you know charles leclerc was in a really bad bad spot um coming into the pit lane yeah that, that was that was a hard one to listen to but uh when they weren't showing him for a couple minutes like we know what that means and uh yeah it didn't look good and then finally when they showed him i'm not sure exactly what they showed first but I saw him showed him in the medical car, did they not? I believe that, yeah, I believe that was the first shot. And that was when it was like, yeah, like you said, you just kind of like, oh, okay, thank God, you know, he's okay. And, you know, obviously the fact that they were showing him and you could see him moving around, he's conscious, nothing was broken. And then after I think they showed him um, sort of walking or being assisted by Alan Van Der Merver and Dr. Ian Roberts uh, to the medical car. And then afterwards, I think another couple minutes passed before we finally got to see exactly the details of the incident so i'm just going to cue up here the the incident i think it was the helicopter angle here that uh, that they showed on the broadcast we're only going to show this once we're not going to show two uh a ton of times i think it's been shown so many times already um but it's just this one interesting thing that i want to show because uh hold on let me see where it is exactly here yeah like you said before there's so many things that we have to go through well um, this this clip is the one that really puts everything together and how long he was sitting in a ball of flames. Yeah. So I, I showed my coworker and I have something to say about this afterwards, but I, I showed my coworker this and they couldn't imagine, you know, just being how hot one that must've been and two just being in a ball of flames, trying to figure out how to get out. I mean, it really puts in perspective how long uh, he was in that car for. Exactly. Yeah. So let's play here from the beginning. So this is right from a set, as soon as he crashed and you see the timer, go on here and again we, we were giving massive credit to to dr uh, ian roberts and alan vandermerver and the marshal that came actually running across the track to start to put out some of the fire there you can see him um and all that credit deserves to them as well but i think honestly the biggest hero was roman grosjean himself you know yeah. his training his physicality is uh physical training his mental training as well to be able to get out of this and yeah you could see it right there coming up i think officially it was 28 seconds out of the car and then he's by the medical i mean that that just I, I just I still can't get over how how he stayed conscious, how he was able to have the presence of mind to get the steering wheel off, get the part of the headrest off, jump out, and then somehow know exactly where he was over the guardrail. Twenty eight seconds. That's yeah. Well, I mean, and it, it was a tangled mess in that guardrail. To like the the, the gap he had to crawl out of wasn't that my that big. Um, so yeah, I mean, pretty crazy that he was able to have the wits about him it emits all the fire. It must've been hard to see with all the smoke and fire too, let alone 
just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, to be able to under your seatbelt, um, you know, have everything, Hans device, get every the radios and, and to, to hop out where he did. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you also mentioned the Hans device. There's another piece of safety that isn't getting as much credit as it needs to. Obviously the halo, the seatbelts, the, the monocoque structures and everything, but the Hans device as well. Remember that that was able to, to keep his head stabilized so that there wasn't too much of a whiplash that might've knocked him unconscious um, had that Hans device not been there. So I think that's another little piece of safety equipment that, that deserves a lot of credit. So now the big question obviously was like, you know, what would have happened, for example, had, had the halo not been there. And I just saw this actually just an hour ago before we came onto, onto the air. And I'm not exactly sure, not exactly sure who this is from and who created it. I found it from at F1 underscore images on Twitter. So you can go and check it out there for themselves. So I'm not sure if you know who created this, please give them credit. Um, but here's just sort of a, a somewhat of a decent illustration of what exactly what could have happened or just sort of animation of the crash itself. And you see the car where it split, the literal car going through the guardrail, but the fact that the halo was actually the thing that bent the guardrail, and if it wasn't the halo, you know, unfortunately, it would have been Roman's helmet. So, I mean, I just think that's that's remarkable. Yeah, that's sure. The halo did a lot there to wedge uh, the barrier. One, the barrier shouldn't fail like that. It must have hit at just the perfect angle, and I know that's going to be investigated by Ross Braun and FIA. Uh, on why that failed in a certain way, but the halo really did its job there because, um, yeah, you could only imagine the the awful scenario that would have been uh, if the halo wasn't there. Um, and you know, it also provided him an escape route with the barrier, you know, not right on top of him. It it, it gave him a little bit of leverage and room to be able to get out. So yeah, I mean, as much as we hate hated it at first, uh, like you said, Chris, I don't think there's any debate anymore. I think the debate is over. Um, the halo is, is exactly what F1 needed. Absolutely. And there's a great article on, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the race magazine uh, for our good, good friend of ours, our uh, fan of our show, Chris Medlin, uh, who was actually on uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan, yeah. which is a Canadian radio show here. Um, yeah, nice to hear his voice on Canadian media. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, Chris. it's about time that they brought on some decent F1 personalities and Chris is one <laughs> of the best. So, um, he wrote, I think, was probably one of the best articles to me uh, that summarized the whole uh, events. And it was pretty short, but it was a kind of good summary of of the events and the feelings around the paddock and everything. But from there, I was able to learn that I got confirmation that he did have to remove the steering wheel and the headrest as well. Uh, that's what one thing I was kind of uh, questioning or wondering about is, did the steering wheel come off? Was it still attached after the accident? And so it looks like the steering wheel was still attached and the headrest as well. So it looks like that he got... Um, the steering wheel off, seatbelts off, part of the headrest off, because I'm going to show you this picture here. There's some remarkable pictures of the crashes afterwards. Um, and I don't know if anybody have seen some of these, but there's a, a bunch of great ones here. Maybe I'll show you this one here first, Tyler. I don't know if you can see that one. Uh, hold on here a second. If I just end that there. Yeah, there's a bunch of crazy ones that I found, and uh, the ones uh, of the car afterwards that you're going to see are, are, are pretty wild. Yeah. So let's go to this one. There we go. So this one here is of the halo itself. So this one was shown on the broadcast, but somebody just kind of took a screenshot of it. Remarkably, wow. fairly still intact. You know? It's, yeah, it's just the carbon fiber that's been uh, the carbon fiber, obviously that that surrounds it, that's been kind of ripped there, but it yeah. doesn't even look bent. Yeah. No. Exactly. It's just just a little bit has sheared off. 
obviously a lot of it is charred because of the fire and, and the fire extinguisher that was being put out as well. Uh, I'm just going to go a little bit later on here, which was the one that I was about to talk about. There's a lot of great pictures here. So that's of the car. Okay, so here's the one that you see of the, the charred remains of the car. And you can see, obviously, the halo relatively still intact. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if you can see the headrest in this angle. I might have a better photo of it somewhere here. Yeah, I think that you can see it in this one a little bit. This one is a more high-res picture, as you can see here, halo on its side. The headrest is just on the side. So I think Chris Medlin was saying that he was only able to get one side of the headrest off, which was just mm -hmm. enough for him to squeeze through and then uh, was able to safely get out. But yeah, that's... I mean, I, I just can't, I'm like speechless looking at the photos every single time. It, it's crazy. Yeah. And you know, there's going to be a, a full on uh, new training to, to how to get out of the car quicker than, than he could have done, uh, been able to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if they could do training for this scenario exactly. Right. Yeah. But at least <laughs> you, you, obviously, yeah, you can't, yeah. <laughs> can't really anticipate this. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. But when you look at it, you know, the monocoque still is relatively mm -hmm. intact. I mean, you can you can make out the car, but I, I don't know if you remember this when they first initially went to shot to the shots of the guardrail. And, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, what is that in the middle? And you're like, holy shit, that's the car. Like the car is embedded in the guardrail. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy that it split that way. Um, it, it ended up catching him because if he went through the guardrail and then kept going, it, it, it could have been a lot worse, obviously. So it did part of its job. Um, but it's interesting to see whether they'll change that to a, a different barrier, if they'll look at the Armco barriers and maybe uh, restructure them. I know in, in North America, if a lot of the NASCAR, they had those safer barriers where it's a, a concrete wall, but in front of the concrete wall are styrofoam and... Um, styrofoam and then a, a steel wall um and it absorbs a lot of the impact it helps uh with that but i mean i don't know if you it's still a hard wall it, it who knows I, i'm not an engineer uh it's just kind of my ideas yeah no for sure kind of like uh remember the f2 crash earlier this year in russia when the driver sort yes. of went through that and then there's a fire there as well it's kind of yeah. immediately what i thought of that maybe we need to have that sort of tech pro wall um, and then at the very least, like he goes into the wall and it's a bit of a softer impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, the tech pro walls seem to be pretty good, but, um, I don't know are, if a tech pro wall would give way there, like would, would it whip away and not completely protect the driver? I, it's interesting to see what they could come up with. Um, I want to mention something too, Chris, that I, I forgot to mention after we saw that long video of, of Roman in the fire how long it took me to get out 28 seconds uh Kroon chandok i meant to send this to you and i just i, I didn't but Kroon chandok tweeted um that the fia this year changed to a new heavier fire suit um than what they had last year that protects for 20 seconds rather than the 10 seconds that it was last year um and you have to think the only thing they got burnt with his hands well his hands were the 10 second um fireproof material that that they had where the rest of his body was the new 20 second uh, a fire suit that they had on um so uh, that is a huge thing to think about as well if this would happen last year maybe we could have seen his whole body uh with second degree burns well you know with the new fire suit that they put in um with you know obviously they took the initiative to do it um, it only his hands, uh, got the second degree burns there. So pretty amazing stuff too. When you think about that, that, uh, 
the coincidence of them putting it in this year. And, uh, you know, it may have helped save Roman Grosjean's life there as well. Oh yeah, most definitely. And, um, yeah, I don't really want to think about what could have happened had, had the older suits been in there, maybe some older technology as well. But, uh, yeah, the fact that he still only walked away just a slight burns, I think maybe a couple on his, uh, ankles as well is, is, is pretty amazing. And I did see that tweet actually from crew and Chandok. I did have it saved. Oh, nice. Um, and you can see it here. He posted it with, with, which, you know, I hope that after a couple of weeks time, when Roman is released from hospital, hopefully he's able to finish the last race in Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. but not, not to sensationalize the accident, but this photo to me is like one of the most insane photos I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, just the, the half of the car sitting there, Roman just coming out of the flames, you know, like a, like a warrior with the warrior that he is. And then I believe that's Dr. Ian Roberts running over there at the Marshall. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, if anybody's still out there, you know, you got friends that aren't interested in formula one that don't know too much about it. And doesn't think that these guys are athletes or it's not much of a sport. You got my permission to slap them twice because mm-hmm. they need to be after this, after what happened this weekend. I mean, and you know, people I, don't understand how hot that fire is. You see the doctor there, uh, Ian Roberts, uh, you know, he's, you can see him kind of going away from the fire a little bit there. It, that's jet fuel in the, in the back of that car that's on fire. That fire is scorching hot and he's right beside it to help Roman on. So uh, I know we're going to get to him uh, in the medical team in a, in a little bit, but uh, it's it pretty crazy that, you know, even that Marshall standing there, he, that's, that's very hot that he's feeling on his face. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. And the other thing too, with Dr. Ian Roberts, like as, as amazing as his response was, there's really not much that he can do because you yeah. know, what is he going to do? Just jump right into the fire. I mean, he's, there's not really much that you can do in that case. That um, guy, that Marshall with the fire extinguisher helped out a lot. He, because because Dr. Ian Roberts pointed Grosjean out, and uh, and the marshal helped put the fire out uh, just enough so that Roma could get out and everything like that. I mean, it was kind of he was in the perfect place at the perfect time to to be able to help Roman out there. And um, obviously, one fire extinguisher isn't going to help that whole scenario, but it was enough to to put the flames back so that um, Doctor Ian could go in and and that Roman can get enough room to get out. Yeah, and I believe that there was, uh, I'm not sure if it was that Marshall, if it was it was somebody else, maybe the other Marshall is on the other side. He had problems uh, taking the pin out of the fire extinguisher because it wasn't, I'm not, I was reading something, I wish I would have saved that, but that I think Ian Roberts or it was either Alan Vandemerver had to run over and help them pull that pin because I'm Tyler, I'm sure, I'm sure you know you've dealt with this at your workplace, the mm-hmm. exact protocols of how to properly operate a, a fire extinguisher, which if you know everybody watching this might be a good thing to learn for just for your own house i mean i, I don't necessarily know how to use one either so this is sort of maybe a good little uh, a reminder for everybody just to brush up on that safety because it could could make a big difference like you said the, the extra kind of 10 15 seconds of using that fire extinguisher at least help roman get out uh, have some sort of an exit that way yeah it's it's not very hard to operate at all um yeah it's it's pretty pretty dummy proof as long as you you know, maybe search a video up on YouTube and get yourself familiar. <laughs> Obviously, make sure you have one in your house. Um, and, and maybe if you don't have one, uh, go out and make the $25 purchase to, to get one. Because um, it, it, you know, it may not save everything uh, if it's a big fire, but it may help you get out of, of a scenario. Um, it, there's a lot of different fire things you could think of. You know, electrical fire, don't use water, please. Um, water is condu- conductive, uh, and that will electrocute you. So uh, make sure you use the uh, proper fire extinguisher and the proper firefighting methods. Um, but it's definitely a, a, re- a reminder for everyone how important they are to have uh, around the household, uh, back of your car, 
um, you know, just one of those little five pound ones in the back of your car could save someone's life. Yeah. Yeah. Sound good advice. Uh, definitely there. And another great point you bring up the electrical fire. Let's not forget that these are turbo hybrid mm. power units. And I believe that one of the things that did caught fire was that kinetic MGUK unit, um, which obviously stores the battery. And just as you illustrated, there is a big difference between electrical fires and petrol fires, for example. Um, you know, I immediately thought of to Richard Hammond's crash um, in the Remac oh. in, in Switzerland a couple of years ago. That's a fully electric car. I mean, that's another thing that we have to consider um, when, mm. we, when we think about electric cars is that you roll one over and it catches fire. It's a different type of fire. And those, uh, uh, those batteries don't go out right away too. They'll keep reigniting, catching fire. So uh, uh, they're dangerous uh, even after the fact. <laughs> yeah. And you saw a lot of those marshals and the Haas team members with those larger rubber gloves after as well. Um, you know, you, you could die if, if that, that electric huger, there's, there's a ton of power in those things. So it, it could easily be very, very harmful. So it's another factor which made this crash even more insane and more complicated and, and even more thankful that, that he did eventually uh, end up end up being okay. Because, um, yeah, I, I just look at all the things that could have gone wrong and, and it didn't. Yeah. That's why I think it's just a miracle. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, the 200, over 200 kilometers per hour, he went into the barrier. Um, it, I think, believe it was reported a 53 G impact, um, which is ridiculous. It, it's insane. And People yeah. don't survive normal people don't survive that no is, is unheard of um so i mean as as you know roman grocer's wife put it the uh, romad is a superhero he's his own superhero or however way she worded it um and, it, and it's true uh it's it is very true because um yeah he did a fantastic job to have the wits to to help himself get out of that instant yeah, absolutely agree with that too. Um, before we get on to the the good news, um, you know, we, we kind of got to go yeah. re back and revisit this. I just wanted to point out one more thing that uh, you know we always try and maybe grab stuff that you might not have seen on the broadcast. And uh, you know, I'm not sure how many people are, are involved in F1 Twitter, so maybe it's something that you didn't see. But I just wanted to share with everybody the driver reactions on the way into the pit lane during the red flag. And, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot of concern. Everybody was, most of the drivers were able to actually see it in their mirrors in, in terms of the accident. So I just wanted to play some of the team radios. Um, this is about a two or three minute long clip and we'll, we'll just kind of talk over it as we go. Um, but I, I just thought it was very nice to see all the, the genuine concern that these drivers had. And, uh, you know, you kind of feel for Charles Leclerc near the end of the clip yeah. because he was pretty distraught. Um, but this first one is from, I believe, uh, Lando Norris. Are they okay? I see your fire. Is yeah. everyone all right? I'm trying to find out. What happened? Sergio Perez. A big crash towards the back. Uh, big crash. Can, can I just honestly say that I don't know if you guys could hear the sirens in the background mm. of this engine. That's like the worst sound ever. Like, like I just, I just hate it listening to that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even though I know Roman's okay, it's just like Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone okay? I'm not sure yet, check it. Is everybody okay? Yeah, everybody, we are checking now. Was, uh, of course, yes, we are checking. <laughs> and he's okay or? We are checking. How's Grosjean doing? No info yet. Is the driver okay? 
I'll uh, let you know. Try to make a cap to the chasm front and pick up a bit of speed. Latifi was right behind Grosjean. Yeah, he saw everything happen. Fuck, 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 fuck. This, this was a big one. This was a big one. Is he okay? I will come back to you. Fuck. I've seen it in the mirrors. I feel so Lose bad it. for him listening to this. It's Grozan. Uh, still no information, I will let you know. No, please. Ah, oh, fuck me. And uh, we'll, we will go to, through the pit lane and we'll stop on the pit lane, in the pit lane. And uh, please try to keep a gap to the car in front. Still no information? Still no information. You can see he's putting his hands on his head, cheese. Yeah. Wow. Is he okay? What's going on there? Uh, I will let you know. I will let you know. I don't know at the moment. And obviously that last one there was Danny Kofiat, the the driver that he collided with uh, before uh, before he went into the barrier. So yeah, that was uh, that was a rough couple of minutes there heading back mm-hmm. into the pit lane. And as we were watching at home, wondering what was going on, the drivers were in the exact same position. And yeah, Charles or Charles Leclerc was completely distraught over over the radio. Obviously, um, you know he's he's had a lot of personal uh, experience, you know, with with these big crashes, unfortunately, um, and his close friends. So I know that it was extra difficult for him. And then uh, relieved that I think by the time they parked up their cars, they knew that Roman was okay. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it was great to see the the whole drivers come together and, and support each other that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's pretty, I, I couldn't imagine what those drivers could be thinking, could be feeling. Um, it really was summed up well by Charles and his emotions. Um, I know Danny Kvyat, um, I think there was a little more to to the audio there um later in caveats but um on how desperate he was uh to see if he was okay as well um because obviously he's the one that that ended up making contact i mean i should say roman made contact with caveat there's nowhere caveat could go um but the, if you're a driver in that scenario you're still thinking uh, like the, you know you had something to do with it it's your fault um yeah it is absolutely crazy um what these drivers were feeling what they were thinking during that in lap and um you know good thing we saw the good news after one thing is interesting i didn't hear and i i wasn't able to find kevin bagnison's um radio uh, and i wonder if uh, it, maybe they just never released it or or what exactly there because i could only imagine what his reaction would be as well being a teammate yeah, I believe it was. Uh, it might have been in that Reddit clip um, that that was there. I believe that uh, at first he was just sort of asking like what position he was in. He wasn't exactly sure what the red flag was about. Um, and then I think later on in the lap he was just asking, you know, who it was and everything like that. But I don't know if it was the full uh, length team radio. I don't know if it's going to come out in the next couple of days. 
Um, it's it's yeah. interesting too because um, you know we saw Charles saw it in his mirrors. He saw the full crash in his mirrors. Where he had other drivers like Espan Ocon who had no idea what happened. He's like, well, why is there a red flag? What what is going on? Um, and it just tells you on what drivers are doing at that one point. You have no idea what's going on behind you, depending on where you are in the field, what you're looking at in your mirrors, who's around you, and, and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another thing too, I was kind of interested to know is, uh, I know they showed it partially, but they paused the onboard as you know, Roman went into the barriers. I'm wondering if anybody has the the footage of it because I'm not exactly sure at what point maybe the cameras weren't operating anymore. Um, but there's also a rear camera on the on the rear of the car as well, so I'm not sure if that was able to stay intact. Um, you know, maybe they won't release the footage as well before there's an investigation, or they just won't release it at all, which which I can understand. But uh, personally, just something I'd be interested in just to see sort of the moment of impact or even the car separating because they have multiple onboard cameras as well. So I don't know if that will be able to be released within the next couple of days or not. Yeah, I would have to think that the FIA will be doing a lot of investigation on uh, maybe how the Helms device worked, uh, how he, if the camera is even operational, how he got... Um, the one pin out and what they could do better for uh, for self extraction like that. But um, I mean, we saw in the in the last stroll crash how the camera cut out, you know, midway almost how he was, you know, after he was upside down. Um, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I don't think a camera could survive that, that sort of impact. But who knows? Who knows? There. I, I don't think I need to see the onboard crash. I don't think I want to see. Uh, the impact on board. Um, I think that's just a little, little too much for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, it's a weird fascination though. I, I do, I must say so myself because, you know, on the one hand you, you don't want to see it, but there's some sort of bit of curiosity. I don't know what it is, but I don't know if anybody's always had that experience where you drive by on the highway and you see that there's a crash and for whatever reason, you're just interested to see it, even though it could be just a terrible scene, just like this one was. Hmm. Um, so, so there's some bit of curiosity there for me personally. Um, you know, again, like I'm fine with it either way. I, I don't want to see it, but um, if it doesn't come out, but um, it, yeah, it's it's just interesting with, with the crashes, and it kind of just uh, segues into another point I wanted to bring up before we get on to the good news regarding Roman. And this was brought up by Daniel Ricardo that he was very critical of the way Formula One handled the replays. You know, he said that it was too much of a, of a Hollywood show and that it was replayed too many times. Um, so what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, you and I have been in broadcast trucks before and we've sort of, I don't know, actually, maybe maybe I was thinking about this and unfortunately, Shaker's not here. I'm not sure, Tyler, if you remember uh, the Ottawa Fury FC game a couple years ago when Johnny Steele got injured. He had a yeah. head injury. I'm not sure yeah. if you were working with us on that game. Uh, maybe Shaker was, but I remember for us in the truck, we were... We were excuse me, we weren't able to show any of the replays of his head injury until we knew that he was okay, until he finally got stretchered off. And I believe only at that point we showed uh, wide shots only. So when you're in the broadcast sense, you're not allowed to show anything until you have absolute confirmation that somebody's okay. And then once they had that confirmation, they were able to show some more more in-detail replays. So let me get your thoughts on, on, on Ricardo's comments that uh, it was maybe a little bit excessive. Yeah, I think he was the only driver with that comment as well. Um, Vettel also had a, had a few criticisms as well. Okay. Not as hard as Daniel Ricciardo, but he echoed some of the same thoughts. Okay. Um, I, I get it from a driver's point of view um, that, you know, if that was you, maybe wouldn't want it being broadcasted, you know, a bunch of times. Um, but coming at it from, you know, a viewer's point of view, a, a broadcaster's point of view, 
Um, one, once you know the person's okay, uh, you know, fine showing the replay, knowing that they don't have any serious injuries. Like he walked away uh, with some help, of course, and with some minor injuries. Um, but in the most important thing is that he walked away there. And in my mind, that's okay. We can show replays. We can show what happened and, and kind of put in perspective how serious this was. Um, second part of that is, especially during the red flag, well, you don't have much, the race has only been three corners. You don't have much content to show in the hour delay there was. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of talking about that, um, and, and showing replays and different angles because you need to fill an hour's worth of TV time. And that's, it's hard to do when you got nothing really planned, especially when it's just like that, a red flag out of nowhere. Uh, you know, it's not a pre-planned schedule, not a pre-planned show. Uh, you're kind of going off the cuff with everything. So um, you have to understand from both perspectives. And uh, in the end, I don't agree with Daniel. Um, I didn't think it was overblown too much. Um, if anything, it, it's kind of good that they showed the, you know, the amount of safety innovations they've come up with with F1 um, and how safe the cars are. It really showed um, how, how much technology and how much innovation have gone into the safety aspect of the sport. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a point that I was going to make too, is that for me, it's like, it's also knowing that finally that he was okay. There wasn't any major injuries that it's, it's not, I don't know if showing off is the proper term, but showcasing just how safe the sport is, the innovations and just the, the absurdity of the whole, the whole event, you know, just how spectacular it was both in a negative way and a positive way, but like, you know, it's almost like you want to, sh- holy shit, look at this. You know, it was just one of those moments where it, it would have been very difficult to not show any of those replays because people at home would have been sitting there going, okay, thank God Roman's okay, but what happened? Like, we didn't mm-hmm. know what happened. We just saw the big explosion and that was it. So there was a big curiosity of the fans and the teams as well. The teams didn't really know what was going on. So again, I completely understand Daniel Ricardo's point and where he's coming from. I didn't have to get in the car after that. You know, I was telling you guys, like I wasn't really in the yeah. mood to watch the race after that. I didn't have to go in and strap myself in the car and, and race at the same speeds that Grosjean was doing and, and do a whole 50, you know, seven lap race or whatever it was after that. So I totally get where Daniel Ricardo's coming from. I don't think that he's even wrong. I just think that he, there, there's an under, there's an aspect of it's the broadcast. They have to put that information out. They have to cover it. Maybe it was excessive one too many times. Maybe it was like, okay, we get it because it was the same angles. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you also do have to understand that some of the angles and the slow motion cameras that they had on it, that they had on it, it was spectacular to see. And it was part of telling the the story of the race, even though, you know, obviously this isn't a, a cinematic Hollywood type of thing. This is sport. These are real people. It's it's real life. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, too, they have to fill the gap, too. There's people that are tuning in late that are seeing all the commotion. Hey, what happened? So let's just show it by, by the time we go racing again. So, um, yeah, I, I, I see both points for sure. Um, I just think it was tough for the drivers because all the big screens are there, right? Oh. So everybody's watching it. So, um, yeah, and like I, said, I could, couldn't imagine having to strap in an hour later and, and go do it. And, that, and that's the mentality of a racing car driver that you know, 99.9% of people don't have. And that's what makes well, one of the things that makes the racing car drivers so special and so brave and heroes and people that you look up to because they have the mentality, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that could happen. Uh, but knowing that getting to the car, and racing and, and, uh, you know, going to speeds that they are, they're, they're true athletes, true heroes and, and people that people 
like me as a kid, you know, look up to, uh, you know, when I was younger and you look at them now at, you know, some of them are our age and you just think, you know, how amazing, uh, of an individual they are to, to be able to hop into that car and, and have the talent one and two to have the bravery to, to do, you know, the whole sport in general. Yeah. Yeah. That's they're true warriors for sure. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even though sometimes even on this podcast, obviously sometimes we, we had Roman Grosjean at the butt of our jokes, but you know, sometimes it's just for entertainment. We just try and lighten up the show a little bit and, and, and use some humor, but you know, we have massive respect for every single one of these drivers. Mm -hmm. And anytime, if we do make a criticism, it's never anything personal or anything like that. And, uh, you know, it's at times like this where it's just like, yeah, like these guys are, are the true heroes. They're, they're the ones that should be paid you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, forget that salary cap talk, pay these guys the, the money that they deserve for, for what they're doing. They are putting their lives on the line and we forget that, um, all too often. So, yeah. Yeah. No, um, we love Roma and we're, yeah. we're happy that, and so glad that he's all right. And, yeah. uh, I really want to see him guy, uh, you know, racing Abu Dhabi. I know it's going to be hard. He's, he's in a lot of pain, but I, I don't want his F1 career to end uh, that way. That, that really bothers me. I don't want it. I want him to have one more, at least one more race where you can go out and, and have a proper race, everything, you know, be all right, finish the race. And then on that note, I don't want that to be the reason. No, it wasn't, sorry, not the reason, but, um, the situation that ends his formula one career. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, he's pushing to get back for, for Abu Dhabi, according to Gunter Steiner, which is great. Um, so I think that sort of encapsulates all uh, the aspects of the crash. I, I believe that we tried to, to touch on everything. We were able to kind of get everything involved. Obviously, it's a developing situation, so we'll probably learn a little bit more about it as, as the days and the weeks go on. But uh, I think we'll leave it there for now, unless you had anything else maybe to, to throw in uh, about the whole uh, incident. No, no, that's, I think we've summed everything up. Um... Glad to see Roman using his thumbs now. He posted a video a couple of hours ago. <laughs> yes, on his uh, on his Instagram. So I'm saying that his fingers are he can he can touch a screen now. So that's good. Uh, glad to hear that's from Roman. He's supposed to be out of the hospital today, I think, or tomorrow. I'm they are sure. keeping him one more day. One more, yeah. Which you know what? It's probably the best safety wise. It, it, you know, not because of his injuries. Actually, it's probably because of COVID. Um, yeah, it's probably best to in the right spot right there. Yeah, I think that they said it's uh it's easier just to treat his burns there. So I'm not, I'm not exactly yeah. sure what they're what they're using and how you even go about treating stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean he's he's not going anywhere uh, anyway. So uh, yeah, it might as well as a precaution. So we'll leave all the uh, I guess the somber stuff and the dramatic stuff there in the past, and we'll, we'll move on to some good news, some yeah. stuff that brought a smile to my face, and I'm sure for everybody else. And that's obviously the messages from from Roman himself. If you haven't seen them, uh, we'll go through all the ones that he's released so far. So I just wanted to start off with the one that uh, was immediately released, I believe, on the on the Sunday night while he was in hospital. Um, so this was uh, just a quick short message that he uh, was able to give to his fans. Hello, everyone. Um, just wanted to say I am okay. Uh, well, sort of okay. Thank you very much for all the messages. Uh, I mean, I wasn't for the Halo some years ago, but... I think it's the greatest thing that we brought to Formula One, and without it, I wouldn't be able to speak to you today. So, thanks, thanks to all the medical staff at the circuit, at the hospital, and uh, hopefully, I can write you quite soon some messages and tell you where it's going. What's wild there is how, how much you know, how jokingly he is, how much humor he still has yeah. after that. I mean, it's wild, but um, I think that's that's just Roma. I think he's from. Obviously, what we see, 
um, very positive person and uh, pretty funny in general. Does that did his accent get a little bit more French too, or is it just me? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so that was uh, after uh, obviously the accident. This was uh, November thirtieth, which was just yesterday. He provided another uh, update, so uh, getting some sunlight, which is good, <laughs> mm-hmm. next to the window. Um, but just another message uh, thanking his fans, and uh, seems like he's getting some use back in uh, back in the fingers. Fingers, but yeah, still looking good. Got that beautiful smile on his face. Um, and then this was from today, actually, this was only 10 hours ago. It looks like he was just doing, uh, some exercises there in the hospital, but yeah, man, he looks like, you know, obviously he's got a couple bandages where the, where the burns were and it looks like, yeah, it was right there on the left ankle as well, received a little bit of burns, but yeah, it yeah, looks like other than that, I wonder, I wonder mm-hmm. if it was a burn or a cut or, or what, as you see some scratches too on his arms and stuff, who knows if that's from the crash, but I'm just going to presume it is, yeah. um, which doesn't surprise me at all the way. Let's try to get out. Uh, well, yeah, no, he posted, uh, we don't have it here, but a video on his Instagram as well uh, in French and English. So if you are interested in to, to looking at that, uh, you can go on Grosjean's um, Instagram. Yeah, I got that one here. right here. Oh, uh, no, you did post it there. Well, look at that. Perfect. Perfect. We got all the positivity here. So this Killing was... Killing it, Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was only uh, four hours ago uh, for us that he uh, posted this other message as well. Uh, managing to press the button with <laughs> one of my fingers, which is good. Uh, thank you all for the messages. Sorry if I didn't quite reply to you. Um, but yeah, I'm leaving the hospital normally tomorrow. Um, get better and better. Obviously, a few parts a bit painful, but uh, hey, uh, it's okay. I mean, after uh, what happened, I guess uh, the pain is, is not too bad. So, uh, yes, I'm happy too alive and to talk to you not that final line it's like no shit <laughs> yeah crazy god damn um so yeah that was it he posted another one in french i thought this one was really cool it was created by uh, i think it was a fan or whatever but yeah i think that's like that's got to be the thumbnail of this episode or something that's yeah cool. that's awesome <laughs> really cool design uh, whoever i don't know who designed that or or what but uh with bed oh, wall to say yeah wow. uh, design really impressive uh, talent there to be able to to draw that you know must be computer uh a computer sketch or whatever but very talented yeah it looks really cool um and just the last one was he did a uh french tv interview so uh, obviously we're not going to play it we don't speak french even though i guess we probably should but um <laughs> done no, I, know. I, I can understand i can try and translate it's a yeah, different think- uh Canadian French is different than, than <laughs> yeah, it is French it's French. It's uh, very so. different. Um, I th- I thought I had it uh, just over here uh, translated. It was uh, posted on f1.com. So you guys, oh, if okay. you go on Roman Grosjean's Instagram, um, you can watch the interview there as well. Um, if if you do understand Sp- French, or even if not, if you're still interested, um, but on f1.com, there's uh, kind of a couple translations out of the interview that he said there. You know, just to pick out the highlights, he said, you know, he saw death coming. Um, which, which is not a surprise. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. And then he told the French broadcaster TF1, I see my visor turning all orange. I see the flames on the left side of the car. I thought about a lot of things, including Nikki Lauda and the thought it, that it wasn't possible to end up like that. Not now. I couldn't finish my story in Formula One like that. And then he goes on uh, just kind of detailing the rest of it as well. You're talking about how, you know, obviously he thought about his children and his wife as well. He giving credit to all the medical staff. So you guys can go check that out on f1.com. So yeah, I mean, uh, I'm really curious if, if he's going to do maybe a, a more in-depth interview 
within the next couple of days or weeks. Um, just kind of detailing his whole, almost like a step-by-step, like how he got out, how he was able to, you know, keep the right of mind to do all that and mm. stuff. But um, yeah, so that that's the good news that we just wanted to share with you guys there that he is in good spirits. He is doing well. Like you said, he's a little bit of humor as well <laughs> there. Um, trying to figure out how to be able to type on the phone as well. So uh, we'll see obviously what happens with him. Uh, Fittipaldi is in the car for this weekend, mm-hmm. but uh, fingers crossed, like you said, I, I would agree. It'd be nice to see him in Abu Dhabi, get a race done yeah. and be able to leave F1 on, on a very positive note. That's uh... I was telling uh, my coworker while I was watching the F1, I was like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Emerson does in the car. And I thought, oh, that's not the right. That's, <laughs> that's the wrong name. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, legendary uh, legendary racing name, Fittipaldi's uh, back in F1, a Brazilian back in, in an F1 seat. So uh, yeah, he hasn't driven the 2020 car, I believe, but uh, well, hopefully he succeeds well and, and has a good race for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think the latest that he was in was in 2019 car. Um, but obviously, he'll have a couple of free practice sessions to try try and get up to speed. Um, okay, so that's all uh, That's all we have on, on that incident as well. So as always, comment down below your thoughts on the crash. Uh, we'd love to hear your perspectives, what you thought of, of all the incidents, the, the clips that we've talked about and everything. Um, very curious to see, to see the reaction and, and everybody's own personal thoughts on it. Um, let's wrap up, uh, just with a couple of quick thoughts on the actual race. We did have a race yeah. in the end, uh, yeah, that Lewis, race. yeah, <laughs> that Lewis Hamilton won. I, I thought like, just after stroll got, uh, you know, spun around yeah. on, on his head, I'm like, just stop the race now. This is cursed. Well, I think Carlos Sainz said, um, he's like, man, this, he used to like, this weight race is ridiculous or, yeah. or wild. he said something along those lines. And, uh, yeah, uh, we should t- probably talk about that stroll. There was another crazy accident, and what you would usually go down as a spectacular accident, I guess, was kind of lackluster um, with with stroll flipping upside down graciously. Uh, it was just a little flip, landed on the halo again uh, in perspective there because it gave him a little bit of a, a gap to slide out of the car, which you saw in the broadcast him crawling out. And uh, Dr. Ian, Ian Roberts, uh, is that the right name? Yep. Yeah. Uh, there with uh, with Stroll uh, going back to work uh, right away and did a good job helping to get Stroll out of the car. Um, but uh, yeah, a wild one uh, for Stroll to, to flip upside down like that. And he was all right, just saying, uh, I'm, I'm just upside down. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> I and saw Kvyat involved too in that one. And that one was, was more Kvyat's fault uh, than the Grosjean incident, of course. Yeah, I, I kind of just saw that one as a as a fifty fifty sort of like a Hulkenberg Grosjean a couple years ago at Abu Dhabi. Like, uh, yeah, I agree. I didn't think that he. I think he got ten seconds uh, in the end to stop go for that. But uh, I just kind of thought it was a racing incident. It was uh, just one of those corners. Two doesn't go into one. Um, you know, looking back on it, I guess. But again, you know, Stroll was turning in. He he was ahead in that corner. You know, Kvyat mm-hmm. sent it a little bit late on the inside, but he did see a gap. And it's another one of those sort of lap one opening race incidents where it's just like. All right, racing incident. It was uh, it was just unfortunate the way they came together and the way he flipped. Yeah, no, not ideal. But glad Lance was okay. Uh, really tough for a racing point in the constructors, and we'll get to Perez. And I mean, it was, I guess we can talk about Perez now. Um, the heartbreak for Sergio Perez and, and for Racing Point. Uh, it, I mean, they came in third in, in the constructor standings. Uh, needed some good finish. Their car looked very, very strong. Um, Perez was on for a solid podium uh into you know podium back-to-back podiums for the first time in his career and, uh, and an engine goes just the, the awful luck 
uh, for Perez for that engine going and caught fire as well. Uh, another fire that they had to deal with. Um, and Racing Point up scoring zero points. I believe they're 40 points now, the deficit of, uh, of McLaren, or am I wrong? Uh, let me just check right now. I'm actually just on the F1 website. They took a, I mean, you know, what's a racing points loss is obviously McLaren's gain, mm-hmm. um, in the end with only two races to go. So yeah, McLaren, $10 million, 10 million pounds. It is or whatever. That's a lot of money. Yeah. All right. So get out your mental math here. McLaren is on 171 and racing point is at 154. Okay. So is that, uh, 171, you said 171. Yep. Oh, that's not as big as I thought it was. Yeah, it's that's, a little bit less. Uh, it's only like 17 points, I think. Yeah, 19, I think. Anyways, my math there. was... Not 40. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's 40 separating the top six. Yeah, or maybe it's from Renault. Or not the Renault top six, a... sorry. Two to six. Yeah. Yeah, McLaren has 171. Ferrari in sixth has 131. Okay, so and 40. And Renault in fifth at 144. Okay, so that's what it is. 40 separating two to six. Okay. Yeah. Um, where was this other one that I just wanted to show? Cause you were just talking about the fire actually on, uh, on Perez's car and let's see if I can find it here in my notes. Yeah, here it is. So this was, uh, I, I think they did show this actually on, on the broadcast. So there were plenty of brave marshals out in uh, mm-hmm. Bahrain and there was even one more here that was, this, uh, yeah, crazy trying to get to the fire here. There's a guy running across the track. It's the bravest guy I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that should should be happening now. Yeah, well, Crawford's right. That shouldn't be happening, but I can understand with what we saw with Grosjean's incident a couple hours before, how that marshal was very keen to get to the fire. Yeah. Um. So I don't blame the marshal there, but uh, yeah, uh, good thing Lando saw him because we we've seen a few weird incidents with marshals and and being too close to cars this season. Um. Too many, uh, too many close calls. So something maybe to, to keep in the track notes for down the line for the FIA. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting back on racing point. I was just so heartbreaking to see Perez. He was mm-hmm. on for another podium would have been, I think first time in his career, he scored two straight podiums Yeah, and just, yeah. Unfortunately just got taken away from him just at the end there. It was so close. You know, I think he only had, uh, maybe what less than 10 laps to go until the end. I think it was um, three laps left, four laps left. Oh yeah. Was it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, was, it just sucks, man. You saw like Otmar Safnauer on the pit wall. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It was a, not ideal, um, for racing point, but like you said, well, racing points loss is McLaren's gain. And now right now they're, they have the upper hand. They had a fantastic weekend. Um, solid finish with fifth and sixth, fourth and or fifth. fourth and fifth, fourth and fifth. Uh, they were fifth and sixth until Perez, I guess. Um, and, you know, they'll be pretty handy uh, at the outer loop. Uh, so is Racing Point. Racing Point's going to be a very fast, handy car around that uh, outer loop at Bahrain. And I wonder if any teams have brought a low downforce package to the to the track. Yeah, maybe Renault. Renault's usually good uh, at the low downforce circuits, but... Yeah, that's going to be an interesting, interesting circuit as well. Um, and and then obviously the the driver who picked up most because of that was was Alex Albon, who was running in fourth. Mm-hmm. Decent race weekend after his crash in FP two. Uh, was still behind, obviously Perez in terms that's of a, race pace. I forgot about that incident. That was a massive, massive shunt for Alex Albon too. Like massive. Yeah, it was so much that that went on, and, and that's not even like the the fourth for fifth biggest story. 
Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so he picked up his second career uh, podium. Uh, Sergio Perez actually on Monday had sort of a, a YouTube press conference with uh, with the Mexican media. I thought they were going to he was going to announce he's not an F one, but that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, nothing came of it. He said that he's in talks for like a reserve driver role with a big team in 2021. He doesn't rule out Rebel. He still says that he's in the mix, but they're only going to wait till the end of the year. But I'm kind of thinking now that Albon got this podium. It's just sort of that final confirmation that they need. I think they announced Alex as some sort of a, a Red Bull ambassador to something. So to me, that just kind of indicates that they are going to stick with him until the end of the year. But still nothing confirmed. So the, it could change between now and at the end of Abu Dhabi. Um, but again, it's interesting how both of them were kind of running right behind each other and one benefited off the other. And it was kind of the other way around in Turkey and now flipped over for this race. Yeah, yeah very interesting how that works out. It's weird how the how things work out like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I guess what what else was there really, really from the race? Um, anything um, notable that sticks out to you? Uh, Science, the beautiful overtake on Charles Leclerc. Uh, thought he had a very good race. Uh, George Russell finishing 12th. Um, he was, uh, Bottas had a puncture uh, and someone else had engine issues, I think, as well, going to the line. So Russell was very close to getting his first ever F1 points. Um, but a solid drive by him. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's really it. Max was close. Then they didn't push hard enough. I think Max said he, he was hoping that Red Bull were, would be a little more aggressive with their strategy than what they did do uh, to try and beat Hamilton. Uh, and then again, Hamilton, another masterclass. Uh, 98th Grand Prix win, I believe. Uh, uh, I think it's 95 or 96. Was it? I think oh, 96. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, Another race. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a very good race from Lewis. Yeah. Just the final one for me, uh, just another one that I saw that we didn't get to see on the broadcast, just to uh, further showcase just how much of a handful the SF1000 is. Um, oh. This kind of explains why Vettel fell back so far uh, after the restart. <laughs> the car is not drivable. I'm not sure. Because We're checking. Spun out of 11. <laughs> if the car is okay. Copy. Copy. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't. I didn't even know that he spun out there. I, that's the Me first neither. time I've seen that uh, or, or heard about it. But uh, yeah, he was having a tough time for some reason. It just it turned on him, um, where it went undrivable. Um, I guess another turn that I mentioned quickly, Stroll's miscommunication, uh, I guess not theirs, but Racing Point's miscommunication with their tires really screwed him as well. Um, in Q2, after that red flag, yeah. um, they put a set of used mediums on to try and get him into Q3, which obviously would not work. Um, so yeah, tough luck for Stroll, but yeah, weird eh, how that works. Yeah, and another weird one too is that uh, I believe it was after uh, Valtteri picked up the puncture. I, I think it was after the red flag when we restarted, um, or maybe it was before. I can't. No, sorry, it would have been after the red flag. He came in and put um, three tires on actually in a pit stop. So when he went uh, onto the medium tire, he, he only put three wheels on instead of four. And everybody was like, "Oh, like is that legal?" And apparently it is. It is in the regulations as of 2018 that you can put the, uh, it's the same compound. Um, so that's fine. And w obviously what happened was, is that Valtteri's tires were pretty much brand new, except for that one that obviously got the puncture. So the rest of them were in good shape. So they just changed out the three of those and then kept the, uh, that older one on. No, oh, I didn't know that. 
Uh, interesting. Yeah. So another oh, little. Why don't you just put all four on? Sorry. Why don't you just put all four on? What's one tire going to do at the end? I guess you have a puncture, but I don't know. Yeah, because he didn't have a new set of uh, of the mediums, oh, and they I wanted see. to go on to the mediums. So yeah, they just they kept the one that was um that was on, and then the the other three just got switched out. So yeah, hmm. interesting though. I, I never very knew interesting. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think that'll about do it. Uh, this was a quite a long one, quite a detailed one. Um, everybody's kind of uh, still regrouping after what was a wild weekend. So it would be nice to have a quieter one this weekend. Plenty to look forward to. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to get out a preview for the Sakir Grand Prix. I'm doing a couple more shifts at work this week. So hopefully I'll be able to try and get something out to you guys. If not on a video form on YouTube, then just in a written form on our website, um, just to kind of uh, preview the upcoming track, because it is a technically a brand new layout. So, uh, you know, a lot to learn from there, but very interesting to see what will happen this weekend with Fittipaldi in the car and whoever is in that uh, Mercedes and just a wild track layout as well. So uh, show goes on. Yeah, it should be an interesting weekend. Lots of drama and uh, hopefully an entertaining race. I think this is the most wide open race um, in a long, long time. Uh, Who knows who's going to come out with the victory. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to it. Looking forward to hearing from everybody on the, the 2020 Bahrain Grand Prix. So get those comments down below in, in the center of this video and uh, also uh, on Twitter as well at TBMF1 Show. If you got any thoughts or anything interesting uh, from the past weekend that you want to send to us, please uh, forward it to us that way. We'll obviously be back next week uh, recapping the Sakir Grand Prix. Very busy to, to end the season, obviously, with the triple header. Hopefully we'll be back in our regular studio by then uh, if Shaker's uh, back from his work assignments. Um, but if not, we'll be back with the Zoom podcast. These have been working well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, coming to the to the end of the season. And uh, yeah, if you guys are interested in listening to the audio long-form version of these podcasts, we're on Spotify and on iTunes. And also you can find the RSS feed on our website under the podcast section. Tyler, again, thanks very much for joining me today. I appreciate the time. Um, anything else that you'd like to add? No. Uh, wild weekend, and uh, let's hope for an interesting but uh, less wild weekend, I guess, coming up for the Secure Grand Prix. Should be fun, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, I echo those thoughts for sure. Thanks again for, for coming on. Appreciate it. That was a really, really good podcast. I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed everybody for joining us long. Thank you very much again for the support. And uh, we'll be back very soon uh, after the Secure Grand Prix. Enjoy the rest of the week. Have yourself a great day.